open, off and Stiley Sensory stayed in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! Bo Rogue has cracked it at last. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. Racing New South Wales joins forces with the Mudgee Race Club and the Shoalhaven City Turf Club to present two showcase meetings in early December. The $75,000 Mudgee Cup Showcase will highlight a great day of racing on Friday, December the 3rd, supported by the Sprint Showcase over 1,200 metres with prize money of 50000 Also on the program, trainers, is the $40,000 Country Maiden of 1,200 metres. Two days later, Sunday, December the 5th, the action switches from the Central West to the South Coast for the Nowra Showcase Cup of $65,000. Co-feature on the day will be the Bell of the South Benchmark 66, a $35,000 race over 1,200 metres for fillies and mares and yet another $40,000 Country Showcase Maiden Plate, this time over 1,400 metres. There's great racing to be had all over New South Wales in the first half of December. Bruce Compton was already familiar with Australian racing when he accompanied New Zealand stayer Castletown to Sydney for the 1990 AJC Autumn Carnival. Bruce was coming off the track with Castletown one morning early in Derby week when Lee Friedman asked him to ride one of his runners in the Doncaster on the same program. He didn't know which Friedman runner he was riding until acceptances came out later in the week. When the budding superstar Superimpose came from last of 20 runners to win the first million-dollar Doncaster, the jockey was very grateful he'd been in the right place at the right time a few days earlier. That was the supreme career highlight for a remarkable New Zealand jockey who rode in nine countries over a period of four decades. He says he stopped counting his winner tally many years ago, but believes it's around the 2000 mark with close to 25 Group 1s included. In the latter years of his career, Bruce based himself on the New South Wales mid-north coast, where he had great success on the Northern Rivers circuit. He was 56 years old when a medical episode brought his amazing career to an end. During those years, he and his wife Marina dabbled in cattle, wine production and even the hospitality industry. They're now in retirement on Maclay Island in Queensland's Moreton Bay and this is where we find Bruce Compton on Sunday the 21st of November for a long overdue chat. Bruce, great to catch up. It was Gordon Spinks who passed on your telephone number. Yes, Gordon. <laughs> long, long time ago, him and I had a we we met. I think I was about eighteen at the time. Right, that was on a quick trip to Sydney when you were an apprentice, and we'll talk about that later. Now you yes. and Marina are living in a Queenslander, one of those beautiful old homes designed for cooler living in the long hot summers, and you are slowly, methodically, and expertly renovating the place. She tells me you're pretty talented. I've. <laughs> 
<laughs> I have dabbled a little bit in it on occasion, but uh, it's a, quite a learning curve actually. But I, if I take me time and uh, and, uh, and I I tend to to get things right, like tiling or mm. any woodwork. I, I like doing stuff with my hands, you know. Yeah. Now, Bruce, yeah. where would you develop that talent? At what stage of your life? Well, we used to uh, – my father used to uh, help demolish houses and stuff, and mm. he used to get old bits of tin and stuff, and I can remember um, building fences with the timber and uh, and – and tin, and yeah. we used to, we used to build huts and things, mm. and uh, we're we're always getting ground out, of course, because we used to leave the hammers out or the nails out or something, you know, a saw. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but Bruce, then you know, l- l- yeah. let's start at the end of your riding career. In two thousand and one, you settled on one hundred acres at Belangery near Warhope, and yeah. you raised top grade velas there. You got them ready for market. Uh, you were yep. 51 at the time, but you opted to continue with your riding career and you got immediate support from owners and trainers on the coast. It was amazing. Yeah, I had, had a good uh, a good run down there. It was it was it was great. Um uh Taz Morton sort of got me down there. Uh and uh, I had well, yeah, a great association with a with a bloke at um uh, Tari, mm. and uh, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. But trainer, he, a trainer. Yeah, yeah. Was it um, Ross Stitt? Uh, I had a, I did ride a little bit for Ross, but mm. the other trainer that was there, Bob Milligan. Uh, that's the man, Bob, Bob Milligan. Yep. Bob, I had a lot of luck with Bob, and he he was terrific. We used to get on great. It was you really to, good. You got to ride a few really nice bush horses in those years, Bruce, and one of them. Was Rodeo Shootout. You oh, won. He, you won ten on him. It's hard to do that anywhere. He's he was a remarkable animal, and uh, Glenn Hodge trained him, and and you wouldn't believe it. A, a real good mate of mine married a lady that uh, looked after me in hospital in New Zealand. And and I went to the races, and here's here's this lady, and she said, "I know you," and I said, "My God." And and John Scott, we became great mates, and he's still still is a good mate. And uh, rodeo shootout, I just had an affinity with him. He was lovely. Your wife Marina was a very capable trainer, and did a great job with a mare called Tap to It, a winner of ten races, and you rode her in most of them. Tell me, were the instructions excessive on occasions? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I've uh, I've had a few run-ins with her about that over <laughs> over time. <laughs> like uh, when she'd whip around and 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 drop me, well, I, we knew she was ready. <laughs> oh, she was. Yeah, that was her caper, was it? From time to oh, time. Oh, she she was a shocker, mm. but she was great to uh, round up the cows. She was terrific. If they didn't move quick enough, she'd bite them on the bum. <laughs> <laughs> Yuma Trick was another good horse on the Northern Rivers. You yes. finished on the heels of the place getters in two Ramoni handicaps on that horse, yeah. and you tell yeah. me he was very unlucky in one of them. He was very unlucky. Um, I think if he'd got the run on the fence, which sort of half closed off on me, uh, the last uh, Ramoni, I think he would have won it 
only ever won it by a length and a half, I reckon. But uh, mm. that's that's racing. I mean, you know, you, 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 if you're on the fence and and you can't get off, you've just got to make the best you can do, you know. Mm. The only good thing about that kind of run, Bruce, is you haven't flattened them. You've got a horse for next week. Well, and in, in, in that instance, I think he got stripped on his front leg and I don't think he raced again, so unfortunate, yeah. The winners were still flowing in 2006 when you suffered a major heart arrhythmia at a Tyree meeting and it was a very unusual incident that triggered that atrial fibrillation. Well, I I think I was a bit dehydrated. I was working on the uh, working in the vineyard at the time uh, on our farm, and and uh, the, the foreman said to me, he said, he said, uh, oh, you've, I see you've got a couple of rides today, and I said, oh shit, I forgot about that. <laughs> he, he said, well, you better get going, and I thought, oh god, it would like you know an hour and hour and thirty minutes or something rather from where I was mm. to get to Taree and. Anyway, on the way there, I stopped and I got a got a milkshake and a McDonald's um, burger, and uh, mm. I got there. But I, obviously, I hadn't taken enough water on board, and mm. and this horse uh, was travelling beautifully. It was this this maiden I rode, and mm. I I thought this is going to win. Mm. I'm coming to the coming to the corner, and next thing, it just threw its head in the air and just run up their backs. Mm. And started climbing their hocks in front of me, and I thought, "Oh shit, I don't want another bloody fall." No. A- and uh, I re- re- wrenched it off their heels, mm. and sort of w- pulled it out over their heels, and and went out wide, mm. like about six or seven wide. Yeah. And lost my position, and it ran home and ran about a length behind the winner. Mm. And I, I was angry as hell, and I was, and 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 I was in a real real sweat about nearly falling mm. and uh when i got back in the room uh i i've started feeling faint mm. so i had ripped into a cup of tea and went and washed me you know wet your wrists and washed me face and that trying to get myself right and my heart was racing and i thought oh bugger you know mm. and, and i had to ride in the last as well and i managed to get myself down so that I, I I was well enough to to weigh out, and mm. I didn't really want to ride. And I went and said to the steward, "Is there anyone can you know?" And there was no one there to take the ride, so I ended mm. up riding the horse. Mm. And when I came back and got in the shower, I felt faint again. Mm. And I think I was lucky actually to even get home because I felt like stopping the car and just going to sleep. Oh dear. And when I did get home, I said to Marina, well, I, I'm just, my heart's jumping out of my chest, you know. Mm. And so I went up to the hospital and they said, well, if, if you hadn't come here, you'd have probably died. Mm. And if you weren't so fit um, with the, the fact that they, the arrhythmia, I, I only had uh, one one good heartbeat in 11 or something or other. Yeah, me. So, uh, yeah, but they gave me some some drug and yeah. bang, I could have got up and walked out of the hospital there and then and they kept me overnight. And Yeah. Bruce, I think that to... drug's called quinidine. It, yeah. It, it actually reverses the process. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I, was, I was lucky. And, and, and then I was in the hospital the next day. I was wanting to get out and go and ride Cup Day, of course, because mm. it was Melbourne Cup time. Mm. And a, a mate came in and he said, you're a charlatan," he said. "Look at you sitting up in bed." He said, "Everyone else is crook." 
Yeah. And look at you, he said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> listening, listening to the races, he said, watching it on TV. Mm. <laughs> well, Bruce, it yeah. took you a few weeks to get over it, but when the time came for you to renew your riding licence, the doctor refused to give you a clearance. Yeah, he wouldn't. He wouldn't let me. He wouldn't give me a clearance, and and I sort of said, "Well, let's face it. I'm 56 years of age, and mm. I may, I've got I've got plenty to do at home, you know, on the farm. Mm. So I may as well uh, call it a day." That was it. Mm. By that time, you'd moved to another 100 acre property at South Kempsey, I think it was, called Sherwood Estate. 18 yeah. acres of that property, Bruce, was under grapes. And you actually ran it as a winery for a while, but you had a shocking run with wild weather. Oh, terrible. Yeah, we, we got flooded in both ways at one stage, on well, not one stage, on two or three occasions. And um, and if you don't get your grapes off and, mm. and that they go to mildew and stuff like that. So, mm. yeah, it, it was uh, hard yards. Uh, if any anyone out there, don't buy a vineyard unless you've got plenty of money. <laughs> yeah, right, and plenty of patience and plenty of heart. Absolutely, yeah. Now, Bruce, I'm going to rewind 60 years, if you don't mind. You grew years. up in Hastings as one of five kids born to yep. Norm and Margaret Compton, and yep. we must acknowledge the fact that your dad is still alive at age 95. He's got yep. a few issues, but... He's still pretty switched on, and you talk to him quite a bit. Yeah, he's he's got a, a pacemaker, and it's quite funny. He actually died, and they rolled him over on the table, and he he come back to life. And <laughs> so, so they said we can fix this problem. So they put a pacemaker in him at yeah. at ninety four. I couldn't believe it. No, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's got a. I think his wife's got a jump start him each morning. <laughs> From age 12 or 13, you were delivering newspapers around the district and one of your customers was an owner-trainer called David Reed. This is the bloke who taught you the basics of horse management. He did. He he he, he, he said to me, what are you going to do when you grow up? And uh, I said, I don't know. <laughs> he, hmm. he said, well, you've got little feet and... Uh, he said, well, why don't you uh, why think about being a jockey? And I said, well, I hadn't thought about it, but, but I loved horses because um, my brother used to ride. He rode before me, actually. And uh, mm. so David took me to the track and showed me the ropes of mucking out and start at the bottom, of course, when you, you're going to muck them out and feed them and all the rest of it. And then mm. I eventually – got on the horse that he had called Fair Deal and uh, he had me trotting it around the uh, bull ring at Hastings mm. um, and until such time as it actually bolted one morning. And, and I went two rounds on the track and someone had to come out and, and pull me up uh, or pull the horse up mm. and uh, a couple of the trainers said, well, he didn't fall off so he, he might make a jockey, this bloke. <laughs> well, you certainly did that. Eventually, you became apprentice to George Cameron at Takanini. Yep. George was a former good jockey himself, and you tell me he was in the same class as Theo Green as a tutor of jockeys. Yeah, he, he was yeah, very much like Theo. Uh, he uh, had quite a, a big number of jockeys before I even got there. And uh, when I got there, um, 
David Peake, mm-hmm. who was leading rider in New Zealand for years. Uh, he was the, the main man in the stable. But there was also two other blokes that could ride very well, and a couple of the boys were also jumps riders. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were all accomplished horse, horsemen. Your first winner came at ride number eight. It was at yep. Avondale, and the mare's name was Fair Linda, and she could gallop. Oh, she was a magnificent filly. She uh, won four as a two-year-old, and I got on her when she was like three. I think it was about a first start as a three-year-old. She's by Fair's Fair, and they used to race very well fresh. Mm. And uh, and uh, George legged me up on her, and uh, – Oh, she used to race about fifth or sixth in running, and it was an apprentice race. And uh, she she won won by about a length and a half. She's mm. a very very brilliant filly. Once you straightened and let and let down beautifully, you know. Mm. Well, yeah. you improved quickly, Bruce. The winners started to flow, and you finished up winning three New Zealand apprentices premierships. So you must yep. have outridden your claim pretty quickly. I did. I, we only you only had to ride forty winners or something or other, and uh, I got to that that stage pretty quick. I think the first year I rode, I rode about twenty three winners, so it didn't take long for me to get to the forty. And I rode fully fledged basically the last three years of my apprenticeship. I rode fully fledged, you know. One of your premiership wins brought you an unexpected bonus in nineteen sixty eight, a trip yeah. to Sydney. And a short stay with the legend himself, Theo Green, who was then based at Rose Hill. Now, you tell me, everywhere you looked around his stable, you could see a potential top jockey. Oh, we yeah, have Ronnie Quentin, Sid Spence, or not Sid, he, Gordon, more like Gordon. He didn't like being called Sid. No. And he, uh, yeah, he'd, he was nearly out of his time and, uh, he was riding fully fledged as well, and 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 Ronnie, uh, Ronnie was uh, a very accomplished rider then as well, and he wasn't far from coming out of his time. Mm. Uh, and then along came Johnny Duggan, and you know, yeah, host of the boys, you know, like yeah. Darren Beaveman and Malcolm those, Johnson, uh, Malcolm Johnson, mm. yeah, all all great riders, you know. Mm. You actually got to ride a winner during that little stay. It was a horse called Fine Blend at Kembla Grange. And the thing yes. you remember most of all about the win is the fact that the second and third place getters were ridden by legendary veteran jockeys. Absolutely. Um, Ethel Mully run second and Jack Thompson mm-hmm. run third. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and when I was pulling up, Mully said he's called me a mongrel kiwi. <laughs> and he and he protested, and uh, I actually only rode hands and heels actually on this particular horse, and and, mm. and the Mully he didn't pull a stick much, but he had no, he, 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 mm. he was trying pretty hard at the finish, yeah. and I got up on the inside and beat him, and uh, yeah, he protested, and they threw it out, of course, mm. and he came out and he shook my hand, and um, amazingly enough, years later when I came back, he, he was the first bloke to walk up and shake my hand again. Mm, he remembered you. He did. Mm. You got another massive thrill at 18 years of age when invited to take part in an international jockey series in India, of all places. Now, the organisers wanted a fully-fledged New Zealand jockey, but nobody wanted to go. It was all part of the Asian Racing Conference that year, Bruce. 
Yeah, that's correct. Uh, the 13th Asian Racing Conference, and um, that was back in 76. Mm. And uh, we stopped off in Singapore on the way, and uh, I had a few rides there for Taichu and Ving mm. at the time. And then we went on to India, and uh, I rode three winners, um, and oh, it was a terrific trip. I went rode at all the main centres, which was Bombay, Bangalore, Madras, mm. and Calcutta, mm. all magnificent tracks because uh, the because of the English influence there. Mm. Um, like Bombay, the first it was I think it was the first time I've ever ridden in a uh, three furlong straight mm. um, where they. That actually had a three furlong straight yeah. at the time, and it it was a hell of an experience. You know, it mm. was terrific. At that stage of your life, it was invaluable. Now, Bruce, let me fast forward over the next eleven or twelve years of your life, which you lived at a hectic pace. You came out of your time at twenty. You went straight to Mauritius. You went back to New Zealand, where you turned twenty-one. Then you went to the Gold Coast for a few months with a trainer called Cliff Sims. After that, you went home, quickly established yourself amongst New Zealand's best jockeys for several years. You were 26 years old when Tay Chun Beng, you've mentioned his name already, offered yep. you a contract to ride in Malaysia. Away you went. Yeah, I went away again. I'm real gypsy, I am. <laughs> and um, and I, I rode there for a season and a half, and uh, that was another great experience. Got to ride against a lot of um, boys from England and mm. you know, different places. You know, it was it was a hell of an experience. And riding different horses, some horses uh, you, you can you can hit them with a whip. Other horses don't take too kindly, and a lot of the English horses needed to be ridden differently. Um, mm. Yeah, it was it was quite remarkable, actually. Mm. Did you get to Singapore during that trip? Well, the, when I went to ride for Taja and Bing, we did the whole circuit. We did Penang, Ipoh, uh, Kuala Lumpur, and Singapore. That was the circuit. Mm. Right. And you and you used to go and ride for two weekends at each each place. Yeah. Uh -huh. And um, no, it was it was it was great. Uh, except that Taichung Bing, he never used to let me out of his sight. <laughs> he really? used to, yeah, at Epo, I used to stay with a vet and I was virtually locked up unless they took me out to for dinner or anything. Yeah. And, and the same in Kuala Lumpur, I stayed with an auntie or something of his. Now, why was this, Bruce? He didn't want you to be in the company of undesirables. Uh, or be involved with other jockeys or, mm. you know, it was all about... Um, his or their their idea of is gambling and stuff like that, and didn't want me tipping to anyone or yeah. things like that. So he was quite protective in that re regard. Mm. He said to me one day, he said, "If you do the wrong thing by me, he said I could actually not uh, put the horse into an air conditioned box and uh, and uh, or not give it water, and uh, when it falls down and you land on your head, well, you know." <laughs> That's basically what he said to me, and I thought, well, yeah. I'm not going not gonna to defy him no. in any way, shape, or form, am I? Goodness me. So when you were contracted to Tay Chun Beng, you were contracted? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Tied the knot. <laughs> you went back to New Zealand in 1978. Now, this is quite an incredible achievement. You had no stable backing, 
but off you went and won a premiership. Yeah, well, when I got back, I'd only only rode for half the season um, once I went back to New Zealand, and I rode mm. 40-odd winners. Mm. And I thought, hell, if I can ride 40-odd winners in half a season, I can win a premiership. So I had a crack at it the next year in 1980-81, and I rode 124 winners. Mm. Well, Bruce, by this time you'd become very fond of Australian racing and you really only needed a reasonable offer to give it a serious crack. And that offer came in 1982 from Paul Sutherland, who had set up shop at Rose Hill. He was starting to make a name for himself and he'd been watching you and studying your style and he liked what he saw. What was it? Well, I first met Paul when he came over and bought R1, mm-hmm. and that horse used to be called Flash Guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, back in the day, they used to go on about the heart scores and things like that, and he only had a heart score of 97 or something. And yeah. But he ended up with a heart score of 126 and won a Melbourne Cup, so mm-hmm. <laughs> you know how good he was. Yeah. Anyway, Paul uh, noticed me riding there, and uh, he liked the way I rode hands and heels. And... Uh, and and that's how I basically got the got the contract with him. Mm. Well, you became his stable jockey, and you got to ride some very nice horses. And one of them was your first Australian Group One winner, Honest Promise, in the George yep. Adams Mile at Flemington. I think Paul had sourced uh, that horse out of New Zealand, hadn't he? Uh, yeah, he did. He got it off Colin Jillings, mm. and uh, he was he was a smart horse in New Zealand. He won an Easter Handicap and things like that. Mm. And uh, I think they paid it quite a bit of money for him, and uh, he ended up led all the way and at and Flemington and and won. Mm. Yeah. Now Bruce Royal Troubadour was a brilliant horse. Paul purchased him in New Zealand after a couple of two-year-old runs, and he went on to do a wonderful job in Australia. You rode him in all but one of his nine wins. You rode him in the Brambles Classic. He won that by four lengths. Then he ran third in the Golden Slipper. Later, right. you won the up-and-coming stakes. You won the Ascot Vale stakes, the Rupert Steel, the Expressway and the Diners Club Cup at Rose Hill. That was a group three. Going back to the Slipper, 1984, were you ever a hope in that? Honestly, um Darren had gone for the whip on Inspired and I hadn't moved. Mm. But my little bloke had was very shinny, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So he shortened up quite a bit over the last furlong and uh and 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 sort of finished up getting beaten in nose, I think, into second. Mm. Uh to run third. So yeah, he 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 was a neat horse. He was a good looking little horse too. He was Wasn't a lovely he? chestnut. Chestnut, yeah. yeah. Oh, Beautiful. Yeah. Did a great job. You know, he only had 24 starts, Bruce. He won nine. He ran seven placings, an outstanding record. Uh, did he have a problem or did he retire to stud? He retired to stud. Uh, he was sold um, to uh, one of the big studs and mm. uh, for a million dollars or something or other. Mm. Um, yeah, he, he, he. I was sad to see him go, actually. He was oh, such yeah, a lovely love animal. Him. Yeah. You say you rode only two elite horses in your 40 years as a jockey, and one of them was Red Anchor, who was originally yes. trained by Paul Sutherland. You rode him, in fact, in seven of his first eight starts. 
You won a two-year-old on him at Randwick. You ran second in the sire's produce to Victory Prince. You won the Champagne Stakes on Red Anchor. You won the QTC Sire's Produce Stakes, which was then a Group 2. You ran second in the Castle Main, which was then a Group 2. You yeah. knew you had one hell of a horse underneath you. He, he was supreme. Uh, he, When you thought you were doing uh, three-quarter pace, you were actually going a lot quicker. He, mm. he Very deceiving. Um, he was very hard to judge pace on. And mm. I remember one day Paul said to me, what, how fast do you think you went? And I said, oh, I, I was doing 15s. Yeah. Uh, and he said, no, he said, you were doing 12s. Good heavens. And that's that's what he was like. He was just uh, deceptive, just like driving a Mercedes. It was. Yeah. Well, he went on to great heights. He won a Victoria Derby. He won a Cox Plate. Mick Dittman to this day, Bruce regards him as the best he ever rode. Oh, that Mick Mick told me that one day, and I oh. I, I was quite because I you know he had he'd ridden uh, Strawberry Road and horses like that and. Mm. To, to say that, he obviously had a, 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 an affinity with him as well because he was just such a lovely, kind animal, you know. Mm. You were very disappointed when he was sold and transferred to Tommy Smith. He had yeah. only six more runs after that. He won them all. Uh, yeah, the three... he, beat, beat me, he beat me on Royal Troubadour, actually, at uh, Randwick. Yeah, yeah, the first start he had for Tommy. Mm. And uh, Mick just... <laughs> Followed me all the way because I was in front. Yeah, he just followed me and and and, and beat me by about after uh, three quarters of a length on the line. Yeah, Gary Willits rode him on one occasion, you know, in the uh, Mooney Valley Stakes. It was. Yeah. And Mick yep. Mick he, he rode him in uh, his other five starts uh, for Tommy Smith. Pre Catalan right. was a very fast two-year-old. You rode for Paul yep. Sutherland. You won a Skyline Stakes on him. You rode him in the Golden Slipper, Bruce, won by bounding away. You went to the lead, which uh, was was expected, but you got hammered by another runner. Yeah, yeah, Strawberry Road. Uh, not Strawberry Road. Uh, Breakfast Creek took oh. me on, and, uh, and 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 he dropped off before the turn, Breakfast Creek, and and uh, but he had sort of made me work a little bit. But even then, I still was in front until the last or oh, about the last 150 metres, mm. I got collared and uh, and he got beaten, you know, barely a length. So it was it, he was a very game animal, very game animal. Mm. And George Moore owned him. Yes, George Moore. Yeah. Yeah, he was at Rose Hill the day pre-Catalan won the Silver Slipper and not surprisingly his son Gary was the jockey. That's right, yep. Yeah, I was a bit disappointed Gary got the ride, but Gary was back from France or somewhere or other and yeah. and, and, and got legged up, which, you know, and we knew he could win because mm. um, he had been working the place down and uh, he was just a lovely front-running sort of a horse, you know. Mm. Bruce, just stand by for a moment. We'll clear a commitment on the podcast. We'll come back with you after this. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up 
the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30ml of Recuperate drawn from the 500ml bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. My special guest is Bruce Compton. I recall you were winning the George Main Stakes one day, in 1984 in fact, on the horse that had beaten you in the slipper earlier that year, Inspired. He had only 49 as a three-year-old, which was way too light for Darren Biedman, and you got the call. Yeah, very first time I'd ridden for Theo again, and... Uh... Darren had actually he was suspended, I think I believe at the time. Mm. Um, but I had no trouble riding the weight, of course. And no. and and Theo wanted a, a reasonable saddle on him, you know. Mm. So uh I got the call and uh it was very a very easy, comfortable ride. <laughs> In a group one. Yep, absolutely. He just he led he led all the old horses and when he when he let down he just let down beautifully and uh mm. yeah it was it was it was it was, so, it was i was just a passenger <laughs> yep you'd expect yeah. a turn of foot from a son of vane and he certainly had that yeah, now, did he ever you stayed 4 years in sydney and whenever not required by paul you rode for many other sydney trainers particularly the rose hill brigade now, yeah. Bruce, you had one gigantic season in 1983-84. You won 124 races statewide, 76 in town, putting you into second place behind Mick on the Metro Premiership. Now, the astonishing feature uh, of that performance was the fact that suspensions cost you valuable time that season. Yeah, I, I, I spent quite about. I only rode about eight months of the year, <laughs> unfortunately, mm. and uh, yeah, suspensions stopped me from actually winning the winning the uh, the premiership that year. But uh, mm. I, I thought I did quite well anyway. <laughs> mm, you certainly did. One hundred and twenty-four yeah. on all tracks and seventy-six in town. Now at yep. that time, your resemblance to fellow jockey Ken Russell created a lot of comment, and on one occasion it even prompted a television news story on Channel 9. It also <laughs> caused a couple of embarrassing incidents. Yes, it did. My gosh, yes. I, I, I recall uh, one instance with me being looking like him mm. where he was walking up uh, or going up an escalator at Castle Hill yeah. and, and a good mate of mine's wife, Thought it was me, and uh, and with 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 my son, and she pinched him on the bum. 
and Kenny, <laughs> Kenny, Kenny turned around and with great astonishment to spot this 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 woman, and she's profusely, you know, apologised and <gasps> everything. And you can imagine the little boy mm. looking at his father and looking at this woman that pinched his bum. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was a bit, that was a real hoot. That was, and mm. um, and then another time, I I was handed an an envelope which I could I could have sat on I could have stood on it and cleaned my windows. That's how <laughs> fat it was. <laughs> Where was and, this at the races? On the on the way into Rose Hill races. Yeah. And uh, with my bag and everything, and this bloke hands me this envelope, and calls me <laughs> Kenny Kenny and everything, and uh, he said, "This is for the this is what I promised you for winning on the horse the other day." Oh dear. And uh, he handed me this envelope, so I took it and I just I gave it to Kenny, mm. and he opened it up and he said, "Shit!" He said, "No, no, these other buggers would have given me that." <laughs> <laughs> oh dear me! So you cop the sling? Yes, I got the sling, but I gave it to Kenny anyway. Yeah, so. good on you. Ken, of course, uh, died from injuries sustained in that awful race fall at Rose Hill. He's sadly missed and remembered with great affection and great respect. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and lovely bloke. Wasn't he? The farmer. Yeah, he was a real, really, a real gentleman and, and so easy to get on with and it was never, you know, never a, a, a bad word said about him from mm. what I heard, you know. Well, when yeah. the Sydney adventure was over, off you go on another adventure to Hong Kong. You had a total of one and a half seasons there as stable jockey for John Moore. And, yep. Bruce, it wasn't the happiest time of your life, was it? No, no, I was sort of on my own uh, most of the time I was there, which was a little bit hard. But, uh, no, I, I, I finished third on the premiership to Barty Lacia in the first season there mm. and uh, kicked off the next season with a winner on the first day and everything. And uh, I did, did not too bad until a few of the uh, American boys came over and, and then John started sort of feeding them rides as well, and yeah. oh, we ended up sort of parting ways, mm. um, you know, very professionally. But you know, that's the way that's life, the way it goes. And uh, mm. so I got out of there and went back to New Zealand. You know, mm. well, you got there in the nick of time to ride Castletown in the Derby at Ellerslie. Yep. You won that race, and that win clinched you the ride on him the following autumn in Sydney. Now, yep. as we said in the introduction, Bruce, you're riding him work one morning at Randwick. You're coming off the track. Lee Friedman pulls you up and he says, Bruce, can you ride one of mine in the Doncaster on Saturday? But he didn't tell you which horse. No, he didn't. No, and I it wasn't until I picked up the acceptances and uh, here I am on, <laughs> on superimposed. And I, mm. I knew he'd run second in the Melbourne Cup on that, but mm. I thought... Apparently, uh, at the time, I I didn't know at the time then, mm. but uh, apparently Mick and uh, Mick Dittman and Shane Dye had turned the rides down, and Gouchy didn't want to come from Melbourne, yeah. and uh, and that because they thought it was going to be a wet track, mm. a and um, like this is on the Wednesday, and yeah, and and I, and I said to Marina, I said, oh, sh she said, well, what did, what's he got in the thing? I said, I don't know. I didn't ask him. Yeah. And and I just said to Marina, I said, well, oh, it's probably one of the lightweights, some yeah. some skag that's got no chance or yeah. something. And here I am, I'm on superimposed. Yeah, he may. Well, it's terrific. 
Looking back now, you were wide with cover. Near the tail of the field, coming around the turn, where a three-year-old called Shaftesbury Avenue had dashed clear, looking all over a winner. Bruce, how did Superimpose give that horse so much start, spotting him eight kilos in weight, and you blew him away? Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. I, I actually, Lee, Lee just said to me, um, "Don't go too soon on him, and and just pull him out and make sure he gets a clear run." Mm. And because when I drew twenty, well, you know, I'm back and, and everything like that. I just sort of snuck up quietly. But when I topped the rise at Ranwick, and he's five in front of me, and I thought, "Shit, I'm never going to get this." <laughs> and and. You wouldn't and hands and heels, and I, I gradually was picking him up, mm. and then when I got within about a length of him, I pulled the stick. Well, yeah. he just went into another gear, you know. Oh God, he was a great horse when he he exploded. He was he was remar- and the feel I got going to the barrier was incredible. Mm. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a gambler, but if you could have put the grandstand on him, you would have backed him. That's how good he felt going to the barrier. Is that a fact? Yeah. Yeah. I knew I was on a very, very smart horse when I mm. when I cantered him to the barrier. You get that feel, you know, you, yeah, that yeah. feel's there. Yeah. Bruce, amazingly, it is the one and only time you sat on his back. Yep. 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 The only time I said I'd fly back any time from New Zealand and and ride him at my own expense. I said, just Did give you? me a call. Yeah, dear me. <laughs> that never never happened again. But not to worry. I I, I won the first million dollar race on him, and I was yeah. happy as happy as. He won the Epsom the same year with Darren Gauchy. He won the Doncaster the following year with Darren, and yep. then the Epsom of nineteen ninety one to complete four Randwick Metric Mile Group Ones. Incredible yep. feat. Yeah, you know, he was—he was a remarkable animal, and he, then he went went on and won the, the uh, Cox Plate. Yeah, with Greg Hall, he did in a rough race. Yep, they come down the outside that day. Just went whoosh. Now to be winning such an historic race as the Doncaster, in such spectacular fashion, on such an iconic horse, must surely rate as your crowning achievement in racing. Is that how you look back on it? Oh, absolutely! Like rode some lovely horses and that, but uh, he certainly was um, the best I rode. I think, apart from Red Anchor, you know. Mm. I can remember uh, Bruce an invitation I received in 1996 to be guest caller at the Wellington Cup meeting at Trentham in New Zealand. You had several rides on the day. The stewards actually let me go into the jockey's room so I could start swatting the colours, and the <laughs> first bloke I run into was B. Compton. You <laughs> won the Thorndon Mile that day on a mare called Happiness. Yep. Yeah, she uh, she was a good filly for me, or good good mare for me. I won four in a row on her, and mm. the fourth one was the, the Thorndon. Mm. And uh, she she was, um, yeah, I got a, got a few trophies out of her. She was good. <laughs> and the, the Thorndon's a highly regarded Group 1, isn't it, in New Zealand? Oh, it's uh, one of the main ra- attractions, uh, aside from the Wellington Cup, and it's a Group 1, so, you know, naturally it gets the best horses. Mm. Funny yeah. how history can repeat itself in racing. In 1997, Paul Sutherland had kick-started his career again on the Sunshine Coast. Now, by then... 
You're 47 years old. You're tired of riding in the New Zealand winters. One day you tell me you actually rode in a blizzard somewhere. Now, when Paul Sutherland asked you to join him on the Sunshine Coast, he only had to ask once. Yep, that's right. Um, I was riding, actually, uh, not long before he rang me up, I was riding at Wellington, uh, funnily enough, and... I got back to the enclosure and the the old bloke in the white coat wouldn't let us in. We were freezing. It was virtually nearly hail and it was freezing, freezing cold. In fact, it got to the stage during the course of the day that I asked the stewards if we could just get straight on and go straight to the barrier and straight in the barrier. That's how bad it was. And it was an absolute bog as well. Mm. And, um, when Paul rang up, I said, I think it's a good idea if we do we go back to some warm climate. I said, I hate this joint. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. Riding in bad conditions, bad conditions. Well, you stayed on the Sunshine Coast with Paul Sutherland. You rode plenty of winners. And from there, you found your way down in, into New South Wales to the mid-north coast uh, where you set up shop at Belangery and to the final phase of your career. Bruce, you stunned me on the phone the other day when you told me you had 40 race falls. Yep. Who counts race falls? I don't know. Some silly bugger named Bruce Compton. (laughs) (laughs) 40? I I had four in one year, actually, Um, Mm. and, uh, you know, it it made me teeth rattle a little bit. (laughs) And and the silly part about it is I only ever had delayed concussion once, yeah. Never never got knocked out and unconscious, but I did have some you usually when you fall, I can tell you blow for blow. Firstly, you're winded, yeah. which you're gasping for air. Mm. And and then you then the rest of your body starts looking for what's wrong with you, you know. Mm. It, it's just oh it, it was un I only broke I cracked a heel once going yeah. over a running rail. Uh, I've been, I broke a collarbone. Other than that, I, uh, just, um, oh, my fibula. I, I done my fibula as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one day at Avondale. But, uh, other than that, I, uh, I lived through every damn fall and I saw every hoof go over the top of me and everyone that hit me or, mm. or, and, and the last fall I had, I ended up with the damn thing. I I I was rolling in front of it, and it was rolling after me, and it ended up climbing all over the top of me. It chased you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Bruce, you were blessed, weren't you? I was lucky. I had good bones. I think. <laughs> mm, yeah, like yeah. most New Zealand thoroughbreds, it's the limestone country. Oh, and plenty of good milk and stuff like that. You know. <laughs> yeah. Bruce, you've always enjoyed a beer, haven't you? Because of this. Uh, light weight that you've been able to sustain all of these years. You were one jockey who could enjoy a can or two uh, after the races and didn't pay the penalty. No, I've been very lucky. And even now, I'm actually the heaviest I've been in my life. I'm about 58 kilos, Mm. which is scary. (laughs) Yeah. Bruce, do you mind if I tell the little story that uh, I mentioned to you the other day? Uh, about the Golden Slipper Dinner Dance, a glittering function in Sydney in the mid-1980s, and I happened to draw the seat next to you for dinner. (laughs) Now, I I saw you, the main course lasted about two minutes, 
Then came a great big chocolate mousse, which you absolutely decimated. Next thing I looked, I inhaled it. I think I had a bread roll just for good measure. Next thing you've got a cappuccino, and you had the audacity to pick up an after dinner mint. (laughs) I've never seen a jockey eat as much in my life. No, I I was very fortunate, very fortunate. (laughs) And still enjoy your tucker. Oh, I love and I love food that has flavour. Love, love flavoursome foods. Mm. Yeah, Marina's Absolutely. obviously good at the caper, is she? Well, she 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 ran a run a restaurant when we had the vineyard. Mm. We were a la carte, and Marina was the cook. We didn't have a chef, and yeah. uh, so she certainly knows how to cook. And yeah. I've actually, uh, I, I like doing a bit of cooking myself. Actually, good boy. Yeah, your versatility knows no bounds. Well, I hope I hope that's the case. <laughs> Bruce, you're 71 years of age and enjoying life as a born-again carpenter and house renovator. It's yeah, been was, a fantastic journey for you, hasn't it? Well, it has, and I was lucky I was born young, eh, John? <laughs> <laughs> On that note, we'll close the podcast produced by Supernova Sound and thanks to Gordon Spinks who gave me your phone number. It's been a delight to catch up, Bruce. Thank you so much for joining us on a wet Sunday morning in Sydney. Thank you very much, John. Bruce Compton, former top-class jockey, now in retirement living on Maclay Island in Moreton Bay, Queensland. The catalogue for the 2022 English Classic Yearling Sale is now available. A total of 810 yearlings have been finalised for the sale, 600 in Book 1, 150 in the Highway Session, all to be offered at Riverside between February 6 and 8. 700 of the entries are Bob's eligible and there are Vobus, West Speed and QTIS yearlings also on offer. There's an enormous range of proven stallions represented as well as first crop yearlings by exciting newcomers like Justify, The Autumn Sun and Trapeze Artist. The classic sale has seen unprecedented growth in recent years with 10 individual Group 1 winners since 2018. Eight of those have been purchased for $100,000 or less, while 14 graduates have won a million dollars or more in the same period. The classic sale gets the English show on the road for 2022 on February 6, 7 and 8 at Riverside. And the catalogue is out now.